Our scripture reading comes to us today from Paul's letter to the Romans, the seventh chapter, beginning in verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good does not dwell within me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that... When I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's take just a minute before we jump in. First of all, how many of you were looking in the hymnal in your pew to find the hymns for this morning? I knew it. I love you. I could see you. Uh, In case you didn't pick up on it from what Stanley said and from what Art said, during the month of July, we're doing camp meeting so we're going back to the old brown back. Do y'all know what the old brown back is? If you do not know what the old brown back is, you just told on yourself because it lets us know you ain't been Methodist your whole life. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the name was on the front of your church. If you did not grow up singing out of the brown back, you ain't Methodist. You a transplant. And you are welcome and we love you. But the old brownback is the old Cokesbury hymnal. It's the first hymnal of the Methodist faith. In fact, my dad's churches had the old brownback. They didn't call it the old brownback, they just called it the hymnal. Because that's the only one they had, and they had the first edition of it. Dead serious, where the notes were still in shapes, and there you go. So, you can look in the hymnals in your pew all you want to. The numbers ain't going to line up. And some of them ain't going to be in there even with a month of Sunday's notice, okay? The other thing I'm going to tell you is, if you hadn't noticed, they're a little quicker than, than, than what we normally sing. They're a little faster. So you might want to fix a dent and forget it. Because um, I noticed we got some issues. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll, we'll help you with it. Um, the other thing I'm going to tell you is, we still ain't singing them right. And I'll tell you the reason why we ain't singing them right. Because if you grew up singing out of the brown back, out of the Cokesbury hymnal in the first edition, it didn't matter whether the hymn was in 3-4 time or 3-2 or 6-8, you sang it in 4-4. Because that's the only tempo the piano picker knew how to play. And they were not a piano player or a pianist. We have a wonderful pianist, an organist. Absolutely. But if you want to get the feel for it, you got to find a piano picker. 
And what I mean by that is, is it doesn't really matter what the little black dots say, they're going to play it the way that they've always heard it, okay? So I don't care if it's a dotted eighth followed by a sixteenth, they all eight notes at that point, and you just go with it. But it is, it's meant to be fun. And it's also meant to remind us of where we come from. Did you know that the majority of the history and the theology and the teaching of the church comes to us not through sermons, as much as I wish it did, because that's job security, or through Bible studies, because there is nothing that I love more than digging into books and figuring out things and presenting things to people, but it comes from singing. In fact, if you want to know the theology of a church, don't read the people that everybody quotes, except for Jesus. Obviously, read Jesus. Um, I'm talking about the other people's. Get a copy of their hymnal and read the hymns that are there. Because not only are hymns used in worship, because Scripture teaches us to enter into God's presence with singing and with praise, not only is it an act of worship that we lift our hearts and our voices together in singing, but through singing the hymns, we also learn the history of our church. We learn the faith that we profess. Oh, the Apostles' Creed is great. It outlines the basic teachings of the Christian faith. But do you want to know what we mean by the words that we say in that? Then I hope you know the words to Jesus loves me. Because that is the most foundational truth of any theology that we will ever proclaim. It's those words. If you want to understand the way that we believe that God interacts with us, then I hope you know the words to amazing grace because that's how God interacts with us and the love that God has for us. Now, what does any of this have to do with what we read in Paul's letter to the Romans? I am so glad you asked because again, this is job security, especially the way Paul writes. Um, did any of that confuse you? I'm, 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 I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm just saying, if it didn't, you're smarter than I am. Because Paul took about nine sentences to say something that could be said in one a whole lot clearer. Or as my granny used to say, since we're all up in my fields this morning singing the songs that I used to sing growing up, sitting in my dad's churches, uh, Paul used a $50 word where a 50 cent word would do just fine. Here's the gist of what Paul is getting to. Have you ever did something that you knew you shouldn't ought to do? Did you know you shouldn't ought to do it when you was doing it? I mean, I know now that I've gone from preaching to meddling. Have you ever been in a, I, I'm going to ask this because we're already there. Especially the folks who are married or folks who have friends that you've been friends with the majority of your life. You know, real friends where there's no filter in what you say. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's just, you just have the conversation. Have you ever been in the middle of an argument and you knew you were wrong, but by golly, you're already invested in this argument? <laughs> so you're going to keep going anyway. I'm not going to say that I have ever been in an argument such as that, but I can tell you that my wife has been. Uh, <laughs> And I'm standing here and she is back there and she won't throw something at me in front of you because there's too many witnesses. 
it happens. That is what Paul is getting to in all of this stuff that he is saying. He knows what it is he should do, but he has trouble doing it sometimes. He has trouble being good. He knows he should be good, and he knows what it is to be good, but he just has trouble doing it. Now, here's part of also uh, the reason why this is a little hard to understand. And I know you already know this, but let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Especially, I mean, this is true for all of Scripture, but especially when we get to the epistles, the letters, whether we're talking about any of the letters of Paul or Peter or James or Hebrews or whoever, they weren't originally written in chapter and verse. They were written as a letter. Now, when you get a letter whether it be in the mail or an email or whatever, you don't read a paragraph and then stop. You read the whole thing. That's the way every epistle that we have in the Bible was originally written and intended to be read. We should really be starting in what we have is Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and read all the way through the end. Because when we stop and we pull out a section of it, it sometimes makes it a little hard to understand exactly what's being said because everything builds on what came before it, just like in a regular letter, and especially with Paul. Paul loves to do what I call the holy hoodwink, okay? And what I mean by the holy hoodwink is Paul likes to write, and he likes to get you to agree with him. He likes to sit there and start going, well, now you know folks that do this, 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 and this, so they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And he likes to get you going, yeah, that's right, them horrible sinners. And then if you keep reading, he says, so what's your excuse then? Because you know this, 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 and this be, be wrong, but yet you're still doing it. And you're wanting to call out all these other folks, but you yourself are doing these things that you shouldn't ought to be doing. That's how Paul begins his letter to the Romans. In chapter 1, he start, well, we have is chapter 1. He starts out with, well, now we know that this, this type of person and this type of person and those that do this and folks that have this attitude and folks who live like this, they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoo, that makes a really good sermon until you get to what we have is chapter 2 where Paul then says, so then what is your excuse? Because I'm not writing a letter to whom it may concern. I'm writing a letter to the Christians that are a part of the church at Rome. Folks who have said they believe in Jesus Christ. Folks who have said that they profess faith. Folks who said they sign up on the dotted line to live a certain way. So what is your excuse? Why are you wanting to call out the sins of everybody else when you know you got sin in your own heart and you're not doing a blooming thing about it. Because the reality is we love to judge ourselves by our intentions, what we mean to do and what we don't mean to do. But we want to judge everybody else by their actions, what they actually do. You doubt what I'm saying? How many of you got a grudge against somebody this morning? Oh, now be honest, because we in church. <laughs> I mean, come on now. I'll admit it, I do. I got folks in my life that I am a pastor, and I know what the red words say. By golly, though, I wouldn't shake their hand unless the Lord Jesus made me. Mainly because I don't want to sin twice. 
because I would sin by being fake, shaking their hand, and then I would sin again by what would come out of my mouth. Because again, I know the thing I should do, <laughs> but I do the thing I know I shouldn't. That's the, the truth of it. We know this, but we make excuses about it. We justify our actions because here is what this individual has done to us. Or here is what we intend, and it's more holy for us not to be in relationship with this person than to be in relationship with them because it's my problem and I, I know I have a hard time dealing with it. Or whatever the excuse is. Have you ever noticed, side note, here's a holy rabbit trail, at least I hope it's holy. Have you ever noticed that the only thing you ever make excuses for are the things that you feel guilty about? When something's the truth, you don't have to make an excuse for it. Have you ever figured that one out? The truth is the truth, whether you like it or not. But when we make an excuse for something, it's usually because in some way we feel guilty about it, so we're having to justify it. You know, the reason why I did this is because. The reason why I feel this way is because. The reason why I'm not doing this is because. And so we create this excuse so that we can justify our actions because here are our intentions. And that's how we judge ourselves. But for all the folks that we hold a grudge against, oh, we're not judging them by their intentions, are we? We're judging them by what they did or failed to do according to how we believe. C.S. Lewis writes a little bit about this in his book, The Abolition of Man. Now, in that book, he's not necessarily going in this exact direction, but part of his argument is definitely what Paul is getting at here, where he writes, telling us to obey our instinct is like telling us to obey people. People say different things. So do instincts. Our instincts are at war. If we do not bring to the examination of our instincts a knowledge of their comparative dignity, we could never learn it from them. What he's saying is, is that in his writing, what he's fleshing out is that one of the things that were, he was, what was, was popular when he was alive and writing, and one of the things that's popular today is have you ever been, have you ever heard, I'll put it in modern day language, have you ever heard, do what feels right for you? Do what's best for you. You do you. Be your own person. But there's a problem with that, what C.S. Lewis is talking about. When we go with that, what am I comparing it to? Because if I'm just going by what I think is right and what I think is well and what I think is good and what I think is holy with no measure, well, I can justify anything in my life. I mean, I can justify why I made a really good joke earlier in the sermon about my wife <laughs> and her ability to argue whatever it is. I can justify that all day long. But is it right? By whose measure? If we were to continue to read Paul's letter, which is really important, what he's drawing a comparison between is the will of the flesh and life in the spirit. Because again, remember, he's, write, he's written this letter not to whom it may concern, 
but to folks who profess faith in Christ and who claim to be a part of the church in Rome. And what he's telling them is, look, I get it. I get that it is hard sometimes. We don't like to admit that we struggle with sin. In fact, sin has become a dirty word even in the church. If you want to bring in folks and pack the pews, don't talk about sin. But here's the reality. We deal with it. It's life. It's real life. And yes, I fully believe that Christ is working in me to make me fully into what God has intended me to be. But I'm a slow learner, and I'm very grateful for the patience of God because I am a slow learner. And I will do the thing that I know I shouldn't do. And I will ask for forgiveness, and I will beat myself up for it. And then a week later, I'll do the same blooming thing again. And what Paul is telling us is, you know, he struggles with the same thing. And as long as we keep trying to figure this out by our own will and our own strength and by our own accord and in our own way, we will always fall into that trap. That was the problem with the law. The law of the Old Testament told us what we should and shouldn't do, but gave us no ability to overcome it. And if you keep reading what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, is but when we accepted the offer of Christ, now then it's not just us and our own ability. It's not our work. It's not our strength. It's the strength of Christ that dwells within us. That we became children of the Spirit. In fact, we became, through the Spirit, children of God that are no longer bound to the flesh, that are no longer bound to sin but that when our spirits bear witness with the Holy Spirit and cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, it is that Holy Spirit bearing witness before the throne of grace that we are, in fact, children of God. And that through Christ, sin is defeated. Yes, eternally on the cross when Jesus died but also in our daily lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And yes, even through the strength of Christ to forgive that person that we all thought about earlier, that we don't want to admit that we hold a grudge against, that through Christ, forgiveness and grace is still possible and the love of God still triumphs. And that yes, through Christ, no matter what it is that we've done or who we have been or what we struggle with today can be overcome. Not because we're beating ourselves up going, I'm not good enough. But because God says, yes, you are. You're my child. You're my beloved. I died for you. I created you and I know you better than you know you. And this is what I have for you. And yeah, if you keep choosing, you're always going to pick the wrong thing. 
I figured that out actually when I was a senior in high school taking my ACT because it was multiple choice. And somehow I always managed to pick the wrong one. And you know them jokers, when I went back and took it again, they'd give me a different test. So letter A wasn't the same thing as it used to be. <laughs> you leave it up to me, I'm always going to pick the wrong one. But in life, in eternal life, in real life, it's not up to us to pick the right answer out of the multiple choice test. We trust in Christ. So yeah, horrible, wretched people that we are that constantly mess up. That's the reason why Paul ends this paragraph with, oh, wretched person that I am. Actually, what he actually writes is, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm horrible. I am, I am worthless. But thanks be to God because of Jesus Christ. And then because of Jesus Christ, he writes about what the grace and glory of God does in his life. And you got to remember something about St. Paul the person who wrote the majority of our New Testament, you realize when Christ called him, he was breathing threats against the followers of Christ and rounding people up and executing them for following Jesus. And Saul becomes Paul and plants more churches than anybody else. So all I'm saying is if that's what Paul says, with his life as an experience of this, of I do what I know I shouldn't do and I do what I know that I don't want to do and I just can't seem to help it because, man, the bad is just so fun or it's just so feeling justified with that or it's, it's what I have made an excuse for. But through Christ, I can become a new creation that's true for Paul then what does that mean for you and what does that mean for me man I really want to be good and I really try to be good and some days I get better at it than others but most of the time never quite where I know I should be but thanks be to God who gives me Jesus Christ because in Christ I am made a child of the King. In Christ, my sins are forgiven. And in Christ, His strength, not mine, dwells. Maybe if that's true for Paul, and maybe if that's true for me, maybe by grace it's true for you too. Because that's the promise that we have. Guys, it's not up to you to move the mountain. It's up to you to pray at the foot of it and give it to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m. and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.